So uh, Greta Thunberg received a honorary doctorate in theology from the University of Helsinki. Who's Greta Thunberg? <laughs> she is who uh, the Church of Sweden famously declared was the successor to Jesus. Really? What? Well, wait. What? It's true. Let me look that up. This is the young lady climate activist star starlet yes. who has been groomed by many uh, progressive adults and, and was sort of manufactured into a uh, climate activist star. As Yes, that's, that's the, her. That's the girl, the, the little pouty face girl. October. Uh, well, I'm not going to link to her. If you guys, if you guys want to look up Greta Th- Thunberg. It's spelled um, S-T-U-P-I-D-C-L-I-M-A-T-E-A-C-T-I-V-I-S-T. Uh, December 1st. I-V-I-S-T. You lost me. Something you, like you that. I'm me. just spelling randomly. Uh, December 1st, 2018. The... Uh, uh, there may be something lost in translation here, but I don't think so. Uh, d- December 1st, 2018, Church of Sweden. Announcement, Jesus of Nazareth has now appointed one of his successors, Greta Thunberg. That was on Twitter. So, yeah, you you've, listeners, you know that we do, this is the Mind Virus podcast at mindvirus.show on the web. I am Jordan Bruno sitting across the table from... Bobby Flood. Who needs no introduction. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we usually put up a page of sources. You can Google this one on your own. I'm not interested in linking to any of that stuff. Sarah Silverman, who is uh, claims to be a comedian, although I've never heard her tell a joke. Uh, really? She said... Also not linking to that person. She said in September of 2019... You think you will recognize Jesus when he comes back? I see him all around. He is this girl, referring to Greta. He is this girl, and y'all don't even see it. Hmm. Well, and Things then, to make you go, hmm. And then uh, she was, this g- girl, Greta, was recently awarded an honorary doctorate in theology from the University of Helsinki. You know, I don't even know if she graduated from high school. She certainly doesn't have any other undergraduate degrees, but she does have a few honorary degrees from universities in around the world. And uh let's not uh, let's not let's not confuse a doctorate, an honorary doctorate in theology with uh with a uh, a doctorate in Christianity or Christian theology. She certainly is a theologian in the fact that she is a religious figure. 
But I don't the, think that does that qualify someone to be a theologian? No, she's she's not a theologian, but she has been given she's been raised to the status of uh, uh, oracle or priestess in the climate cult in this uh, in the the green religion. I guess it is a religion. It absolutely it's an is. anti it's an anti human religion. I uh, the article that I'm looking at here says that Thunberg is a 20-year-old environmental activist from Sweden who has attained global name recognition for her climate change activism. How dare you? She became famous as a teenager in 2018 for skipping school and protesting outside her country's parliament. Famous for skipping school. Well, and she's clearly a, a manufactured uh, outcome. She was, I don't know who her parents are, but I think they're highly influential in the climate cult. And I believe that she, Greta, is on the spectrum. Um, and she's very obviously being, being exploited. Um, you know, she, she had her childhood taken away from her and became this, this religious figure. And I think she's in her early 20s now or late teens, early 20s, somewhere in there, and, and it's still, you know, kind of treated as this, I don't know exactly why, but she's kind of treated as this, this important climatological figure. So she, it says that she received, just the byline here, Thunberg is a 20-year-old environmental activist from Sweden who has attained global, global name recognition. I just read that. I'm trying to figure out why they gave her a doctorate in theology. Well, right. That's the, that's the whole uh, idea here. I know. I, I guess we're just admitting uh, that it's a religion. Well, yeah. I think it's, a, it's, I think it's the University of Helsinki's way of saying, we recognize you as a religious figure. Because I don't think that, I, if, if you want to think about this logically, which is, is not super useful, but if you wanted to, you could probably sit down with Greta, or someone could, an interviewer on the ideas and philosophies surrounding theology, and she probably couldn't tell you anything about anything. She's certainly no theologian. I mean, again, she's 20 years old, and for the last eight or 10 years, she's been doing nothing but making public appearances decrying the evils of man-made climate change. Scolding adults, you know, reading a script, being t toted around the country uh, as a, uh, like a child prodigy or a child prophetess, which she's clearly not. Uh, she said five years ago that if we don't make changes and that in five years humanity we will be wiped out, a tweet she conveniently recently deleted, because it's been five years, and very obviously humanity is not wiped out. <coughs> so there's this blog here, Divita, D-V-A-I-T-A, which I know nothing about, but it was the top result when I typed in, does, what are Greta Thunberg's religious beliefs? And the name of the article is Greta Thunberg, Swedish climate activist does not believe in God. Greta Thunberg, the world-renowned Swedish climate activist, has said she does not believe in God. In an interview with Swedish television channel TV4, when asked if she believes in a higher power, Thunberg replied, no. 
I don't believe in God. She went on to say, I believe in scientific consensus on climate change. Okay. <laughs> Which is a higher power. Okay. In so, her mind. In her mind. So, yeah, I'm just, okay. So, theology, theology departments, theology colleges, aren't they like by nature supposed to be about people, like about and for people who believe in God? Well, that's the, that's the, uh, the meaning of the word theology, the study of God. Right. So that's the theo part, right? Right. And okay. theology is the study. <laughs> okay. That's what I thought. That's, well, that, that's what I thought. I just wanted to double check because... Well, let's remember, it. Like she didn't necessarily seek this out. We'll, we'll give her that enough. You know, we'll give her that much. The, well, the, we just, the you, university you just, is... Okay, so I, we were, again, in true mind virus fashion... Mind virus show fashion here. Totally flying by the seat of our pants. Bobby comes up with some sort of a crazy start off to the episode. <laughs> I think maybe because we were just remarking at how much snow, drought, drought, snow, and rain was going on and climate change was happening, you know, right. because the, as I mentioned, maybe, I'm sure I mentioned it on the podcast. When I was reading the Farmer's Almanac this summer, they said it was going to be a big winter. Yeah. So the farmers must also be uh, in line for honorary doctorate degrees because they predicted this would be a big winter. And that's because they keep track of like decade-long, you know, multi-year climatological patterns that occur, things like the El Nino cycle and, um, you know, precipitation cycles, whatever. So they predict this. So they must also be worthy of a theological degree. But I'm sure that that's in the mail. Yeah, to for, the farmers guys. For the farmers, the far, all the farmers that get the from the farmers <laughs> almanac. Which farmers right. are they? I don't know. It's the good <laughs> farmers, right? The ones that know what's going on. Seems that way. So, so, so Thunberg, because she's an atheist climate activist, she's not an with atheist. A pouty face. She might claim she's an atheist. Well, atheist. Let's we got to break down the word atheist because the Greeks like to do this thing where they put an A in front mm-hmm. of things, mm-hmm. and that negates what comes next. That's like impossible, unbelievable, right? right? So the A, they call it alpha privative, right? So atheism is a word of Greek origin that is alpha privative, and it, uh, the A, alpha, negates the theism, right? And right. The, there's our word theo again, which means godism, right? Or which means God and therefore theism means Godism. So atheism means non-Godism or not Godism or what we believe is not to believe in God. Right. That's what the word means. So, so this has something to do with God. And so what I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is climate a God? Can it be a God? She said, she was asked again, do you believe in a higher power, which I, what's your, what's our definition of God here? I mean, I know what my definition of a God is, but, right. but what, what's the, what's the generally accepted? Cause I agree with you that, that this, this, uh, climate is climate activism or climatism, whatever. That's a, that's a religion for sure. They act like it, but they, they've replaced God who is a being with, uh, a eugenicist anti-human philosophy that has become their god. So it is atheistic. 
non-Godish. I mean, we're just wrecking the language here, too. A, that's that's all I'm pointing out. Right. I'm just pointing out the re- the language is just on the brink of like on one disaster. One article about this says, "Quote for many people today who have thrown out the one true God, the vacuum is replaced by various substitutes. Hardcore green religion is one of them." We all, need, we all need to live for something greater than ourselves, and if we reject the one who created us, then we run with cheap imitations. Worshipping Mother Earth or Gaia or deep green spirituality is one way to proceed. And he goes on and points out that how it's not new. This green, greenism has been around for a long time. You know, the worship of, of the Earth or Mother Earth or Gaia or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but that's not, I don't think that's quite the same thing. Yeah, there's, it, it's become more hardcore recently. And I think a lot more authoritarian. Like if you go back to the Greeks the, the, or the Egyptians or whatever, you can see in Egypt paintings or carvings in tombs where you'll have, say, Newt and Geb, right? I think it's Newt and Geb. The, I, I guess I better double check that, but... The Ageb is the earth and the woman is the sky. <clears throat> so it's, a, it's sort of an interesting uh, reversion or a reversal there. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I got that right. I think at this you, point... Have you ever seen these pictures here? Let's point to, you know, where you got the lady yeah. over the guy. So she's the starry sky and he's the earth and... That has very esoteric symbol, symbol, symbolic meaning. It doesn't mean, you know, that the earth is a man. Because right. the earth is often taken to be a feminine I I think at this thing. point, like the ancient symbolism, we talked a little bit about this last week with solstice, equinox. I think a lot of that has either been completely forgotten or unlearned, or it's been inverted or hijacked and... I, th- I think now the the climatology cult, the climate cult, and I think that's an appropriate term for it, has become a the cause du jour, the the emotional manipulative manipulative avenue for totalitarianism. They they scare the crap out of people, saying if if we don't do this, then catastrophe will happen. So we have to do this. And then people who have no, you know, uh, understanding or belief in God or in the cosmology or the universe latch onto these things because it gives them something to feel righteous about and to, to, especially with the real zealot. It gives them a morality. Yeah. Especially with the real zealot, um, you know, the real zealous activists of whom Greta is sort of the poster child, mm-hmm. literally poster child for. Yeah. Now, this, I mean, in my opinion, this is a really anti-human, anti-morality type of a thing because, and, and wasn't this going on as far back as the 60s and 70s? They were talking about global cooling, like the earth was going to ice up. Yeah, we were supposed to have an ice age. It was going to cause starvation. Then it was global warming. Now it's climate change. Yeah, because it, it became 
the, the, the charade became exposed. It's like right. it, the globe wasn't cooling. They, they falsified their data. There was no hockey stick. Right. They had to remove the uh, plaques or signs at like Glacier National Park in Montana where right. they said by 2020, these glaciers will have melted. The problem is they're replenished. They're massive as ever. They're still there. In fact, this year, they're probably going to come down and grind out uh, Helena or... Uh, Kalispell or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're kind of, they're huge. So the problem is that this went on, they, they didn't get full control fast enough. <laughs> yeah. And, and you kind of saw the, an accelerated version of all of this in the COVID cult with, with they used the fear and the hysteria to grab as much power as quickly as they could. Yeah. And I still think, like, I still think that climate lockdowns are in our future. Well, they've been talked about. We've we've uh, linked to those articles. We've found them. We've seen them. We've seen people talking about them. It's just that it didn't get a lot of traction there because I think people were burnt out on lockdown by the by the time they started to appear. The discussion kind of started to appear. What in 2021, when policymakers, or I don't know if you call them policymakers, these. <laughs> activists world economic forum types started saying hey we, look at how great the climate is we should just lock everybody down right because they weren't seeing pollution from cars or yeah. whatever yeah so this i i it appears to me and i think a lot of other people have talked about this that the climate hoax is a strategic tool used by the eugenicists to try to destroy humanity or try to subject humanity to greater control because it is in by its essence by its nature anti-human it's it's like you're bad and you you having children are bad and therefore um humanity is bad it's 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 like you should just die <laughs> you should just you as a person are consuming resources and therefore you should just die. Right. And it's very anti-theistic because in in all of the, at least the ancient stories, there's always a story about the war between the gods and the creation of the earth and how the creation and the gods benefit and result in mankind. You know, the right. earth was created for a specific purpose and the purpose was for mankind that's like the that's the whole origin story if you're to like take right if you're to take take and strip back almost everything out of it you know there's a lot of good things in there that we need to talk about the point was this world was for you and as uh for example joseph smith says in the wentworth letter which became the articles of faith he says we we believe the earth will be renewed and receive its Pronunciator in chief, how do you pronounce this word? Paradisiacal. Wow, that was just, that's probably how I would have said it, which makes, of course, makes it right. <laughs> paradisiacal. Yeah. So the earth will be renewed and receive its paradisiacal glory. So, or paradisical, or whatever you want to say there. The point is, it's supposed to become renewed and become a paradise, hearkening back to the state it was in when Adam and Eve first received it prior to the fall, prior to the point when the adversary, uh, call him what you want, Lucifer, Satan, Azazel, 
Yaldabaoth, Samael, whatever, he corrupted, the devil corrupted the creation. And in the, of course, the Jewish creation story, it was him convincing Eve to take the fruit, Mm -hmm. which we get a little twist on in Mormonism where, well, she had to, she was just smarter than Adam. She was just bolder than Adam. A twist that came from uh, an influential woman in the 70s and 80s. I've learned recently. Really? Tell me about this. <laughs> well, this will this will this will take us in a different direction, but uh, oh, wh- there's a problem. Uh, do we have like a, a goal here? Did you have a goal in mind when you started off with Greta Thunberg? No, <laughs> you know, well, well kind of. Uh, what, the reason that that story about Greta Thunberg stood out to me wasn't because it was just another stupid thing that a stupid person at a stupid university did, and maybe the University of Helsinki is not stupid, but Somebody there is. Sounds kind of stupid. Somebody decided to do this, which I think is a stupid move. Let's put it that way. I'm sure there's good people in Helsinki at that university. Uh, But it stood out to me because it, it, to me, it it lends, it kind of feeds this larger ongoing uh, uh, age of inversion that we're living through where up is down and down is up and good is called evil and evil is called good. And you look at something or someone like Greta Thunberg and in and, and a lot of ways, I think she's maybe all the ways because she was so young when she was right. if I were to, swept up into this. If I were to spell her name again, I think I wouldn't spell it the way I did earlier. I would spell it M-A-N-I-P-U-L-A-T-E-D. Yeah, she, she was... She's a kid. She's a kid who has, who my understanding is, is like on the... Asperger or autism spectrum and just had her childhood stolen from she's her. She's a very angry child or something. Well, I think that's, she's told to be angry and she's yeah. probably, she probably believes what she says now. She probably believes that if we don't do things, we're all going to be wiped out. But, uh, you know, there's adults involved. A child of 13 years old doesn't come to these conclusions on on their own that's not the nature of childhood Mm -hmm. just like a a four-year-old doesn't know which gender it is and so when they come when your son comes walking into the house wearing your daughter's barbie clothes or something it doesn't mean he's actually a girl and you don't need to go start doing surgery or therapy on a four-year-old do you remember did you ever watch the good old uh musical south pacific you had to have seen that one time when you were a kid. I think so. Remember the song where they sing, you have to be carefully taught? It sounds familiar. Yeah, because there's a, a love. Uh, this was, of course, culturally taboo in the early part of the 1900s. And so there was a, uh, a love story between one of the... Soldiers, what do we call him? Well, I can't remember whether, whether he was Navy or Air Force or whatever. One of the one of the officers was in love with a, a Polynesian girl, and it was oh, can't do that. <laughs> Mixed race. <laughs> well, and anyway, that's kind of why that story it, it it feeds into this larger idea that I've been attempting to grapple with or study this. This kind of what is the theological or cosmological battle that we're we're you know fighting right now? It's the same. Maybe it's the same eternal battle that 
we like to refer to in our LDS culture as the war in heaven, which never really ended. It just changed venues. But yeah, it it, shifted. It seems like it's been accelerated over the last maybe 50 years and especially maybe the last 20 years. Um, But in the 70s, you were saying that uh, somebody was responsible for the logic that Eve's partaking of the fruit was a calculated strategic sacrifice decision slash whatever on your part, <laughs> well, on her part. I, I, yeah, this is a, this is a deep topic. So recently, recent, there was a woman named Beverly Campbell. Maybe you, you've heard of her. I have because of your texts. And she was influential in the LDS church. There's even, so uh, her memoirs or papers were recently made public and there was a a person who posted a lot of uh, kind of analysis of these papers onto the internet Um, was this on the lds freedom forum yes we could give a shout out to the lds freedom forum here on the podcast and so i kind of started reading up on this and this particular person is, is a, a relentless researcher this user and i don't know that we need to they're a user what are they using <laughs> the forum <laughs> oh okay uh forum member forum person member and in these papers beverly campbell uh, refers to herself it appears there's some ambiguity but it refers to herself or quote somebody calling her the 13th apostle, <laughs> which gives you an idea of her uh, influence. And she was quite influential in, in, in the D.C. political realm, and, and it appears that she was quite instrumental in taking— At least the, according to her memoirs. Right. Taking the church from sort of this backwater— Utah Western group to uh, to an influential uh, entity in D.C. political circles. So let's just track back through the historical problems here. So in the late 1800s, you have the church being very, very under the thumb of the federal government as the as the American uh, structure achieved its manifest destiny, conquered the continent, and they came out and subdued the territories and the Mormons, etc., the Indians and the Mormons. And Brigham Young was displaced from power. The leaders like John Taylor and Wilford Woodruff had to go into hiding. And they basically squashed the Mormons by making polygamy illegal Mm -hmm. and throwing a lot of leadership in prison. Well, they seized their properties, their lands, etc., and the church was in real trouble financially. And and this is a big deal because if you remember, Brigham Young had we we came to the to the Salt Lake Valley, and Brigham sent satellite pioneers out all over the West to colonize the West to claim the West for the Mormons. That that's a thing, okay. And if you can go, if you go look up the state of Deseret, you can see the territorial boundaries that that it had, and uh, that had Brigham had envisioned in being essentially the kingdom, or the the state that he was going to be in charge of. And for a long time, they were there weren't very many of us, 
uh, us being Mormons, I say that because I had Mormon pioneer ancestry, right? Or I have Mormon pioneer ancestry, but there, there wasn't enough population to really make that stick. And the Eastern states move in, they take over. And so the Mormons were basically under the thumb of of the East and didn't gain statehood until the Mormons had been fully displaced from power. You know, the, the territorial, I can't remember if it was the territorial capital, but it was definitely the first state capital was down in Fillmore, you know, more towards the center of the state instead of up in Salt Lake where all the action was going on. We didn't have uh, any representatives in Congress until Reed Smoot, uh, in 1906, right? So this is 10 years after Utah becomes the state. So Utah, this, the statehood of Utah was not managed. The, the process of, of Utah becoming a state was not managed by the Mormons. It was managed by uh, other influences putting their thumb on the Mormons. And they did everything they could to bend over backwards to gain statehood and become acceptable to the east, right? So then you went through this progressive era where Utah gained what I call its Me Too status or its Me Too ethos, which was in the early 1900s. They were doing everything they possibly could to be accepted by the the eastern states. And it wasn't until post-World post War II when apparently, as uh, Bobby is going to pick up the story here, people like the 13th apostle, Beverly Campbell, who I've only briefly looked at. right. And there's some really interesting revelations in this these memoirs, if it's true, right? Right. Uh, like secret ordinances, uh, special accommodations in the temple, whatever. But anyway, it sounds like the stigma was still strong right up, has, has been strong right up until our lifetimes. And in the 60s and 70s, the Mormons were still fighting for a seat at the table or recognition or whatever you want to call it. And of course that's post-World War II. And so I, that should, I hope that makes sense to people because that's what happened. Right. Anyway, this, uh, this Beverly Campbell woman appears to be, and I need to do more homework, appears to be fairly influential in the, no other way idea, you know, the, the there's choice. no other way. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's, it's an incorrect idea, <clears throat> but just saying that it's, it appears that she was quite influential in that, um, kind of. And so articulate that. What's the, what's the point there? Well, the, the point being that Eve understood the, the larger consequences of the, of eating of the fruit and that she wasn't necessarily beguiled, but actually understood. And like I said, I, I'm not saying I, I agree or disagree. I, just that that idea was sort of a retcon, which is a, a comic book term for changing the history of a character or mm-hmm. bringing a character back to life after they've been killed off or whatever. Um, kind of a retcon on Eve. And I'm trying to find pre- uh, like 1980 or uh, endowment transcripts, but those are hard to come by. Right. So you think <clears throat> the endowment actually might have been changed? Well, maybe the 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 pre 
<clears throat> there was big changes in 1990. For sure. And pre-1990, I believe, it did still have the uh, there is no other way type language. Well, you can get a copy of the... Um, 1990 endowment, the pre-1990 endowment at ldsendowment.org. Mm-hmm. I will put a link to that. So that has the pre-1990 version with some notes, some notes on what changed. But I think the bigger, the bigger. And, uh, and it does have, is there no other way? Eve asks, right. Is there no other way? The thing that's quite interesting to me about, uh, this whole Beverly Campbell. And, I, and again, I'm not making any judgments on her character. She's, she's written a couple influential books uh, about Eve. There's probably a lot of our female listeners, if we have any, who, who have read those books or know of her or know of those books. Um, let me try to find out when those were published. But what's, what's interesting to me is that there was a concerted effort on, on part of the brethren in the church to uh, enhance the image and the influence of the church, of the institution, in certain political, uh, powerful political circles. And so she went out and she made friends with the the D.C. elite, who, uh, and and many of the Mormons and, uh, you know, members of the church in the D.C. area were influential in that. There is quite a cadre of influential Mormon people in, mm-hmm. d- in, in D.C. That wasn't always the case. You know, uh, influential businessmen, uh, politicians. I mean, how many senators right now are LDS? There's probably 10 or 12 of, really? of the 100 senators, I think, that are LDS. Really? I don't know. We could look that up. There's at least five. <laughs> I'm going to say that. But I think, but then you have several... Uh, representatives too, I believe. Um, I was once working at a retail place not too long ago. Okay. As Wikipedia says, as of 2023, there are nine LDS church members serving in Congress, three in the Senate, six in the House of Representatives. All nine are Republicans. Okay. So I wasn't crazy far off. Kind of. Kind of, but not crazy. But When, when when he said Senate, he meant Congress. But I was, I was working at a retail uh, store. New, January 2021, the new Congress has the fewest Latter-day Saints in 32 years. I was this work- is according to the Salt Lake Tribune. Okay. I was working at a retail store just before COVID. Thankfully, I, I moved on from that job when, before COVID, before the COVID pandemic. Uh-huh. But a uh, former Arizona senator who uh, I guess was living in Utah at the time, walked in and I don't know if I should say his name, but he, he gave me the, he gave me kind of the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> and so I went home. A former and, Utah Senator? No, former Arizona Senator. Arizona Senator. So tw- <clears throat> by the way, this article says 20 years ago, the church reached a high of 18 members in Congress. Okay. So we're, da- we're, we're dwindling <clears throat> in influence. But okay, so, so a, an Arizona Senator named... Um, does it rhyme with a, or kind of have the name of a biblical figure in the name? Uh, no, no, it was, Cain is not in the name. No, no. (laughs) Um, but man, this year we've sure had a lot of snowflakes falling from the sky. Lots of flakes. Okay. So 
This was an LDS senator. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, he walked into the store I was working at, and this is a small store, and uh, I checked him out, meaning I rang him up. I didn't. <laughs> and uh, he, even then, though, he just, uh, I knew who he was because uh-huh. I'm sort of plugged, you know, I paid attention to politics, unfortunately. And uh, anyway, he just kind of gave me the heebie jeebies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But uh, well, I guess what I'm getting at here is that uh, there's been a concerted, uh, deliberate effort to to uh, become parts of these, uh, become to run in these influential circles on part of the the church institution. And Beverly Campbell was quite instrumental in that. And I, I think it's all very interesting. And we'll probably link to there's some multiple threads, <laughs> and uh, but. The, the documents are publicly available at the library at BYU. So there's nothing untoward here, or these aren't leaks or anything like that. They're just documents that were made available at the end of 2022. Hmm. And uh, they're there for the, for the reading. Sort of like, uh, kind of flew under the radar, but this, the journals or memoirs of Spencer W. Kimball became of publicly available recently well that made news because uh russell nelson had written his own forward and then had to his own to his autobiography right it was his autobiography and he so he auto wrote the forward for spencer kimball to sign yeah so apparently he wrote it and kimball or somebody in kimball's circle approved it and said sure that can be written by him and it's very very favorable flattery. But there was a note in the diary about it happening and yeah. and, and he said that it was a very what, what was the adjective the guy used? Fulsome a forward. Fulsome forward. And, and so I, the, 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 the damage control was that Spencer Kimball in his diary didn't write that, that it was his kid that wrote that. Well it was, Edward Kimball had gone through and edited or uh, compiled the uh, the records. Therefore, it wasn't Spencer Kimball, and that's and important because Spencer Kimball was a prophet or a president of the church. The the comment "fulsome forward" is in brackets, which is probably a good indicator that it was written by Edward as a note. But nevertheless, uh-huh. it was a fulsome forward. <laughs> fulsome, by the way, is an old-fashioned word meaning flattering or overtly full of praise. And I read the I read the foreword. <laughs> And it was quite fulsome. So, yeah, the Tribune, of course, latched onto that. I, I found it sort of harmless and humorous, but uh, some interesting things in, in that. Di- in the, I went through a lot of the, the Kimball diaries uh, in thanks to this same researcher on the LDS Freedom Forum who went through the Campbell diaries. But uh, some kind of interesting, like I, I went to 1978. I wanted to see some thoughts and feelings from Spencer Kimball on the announcement of, you know, blacks in the priesthood. And it was like two lines was all, it wasn't very, uh, it, 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 there wasn't much, uh, commentary on that. And I wondered if maybe this, this publicly made available, uh, diary is more like the bullet points version and not the actual maybe diary or writings that Kimball may have made. Hmm. But, <clears throat> it was like met with brethren on issue of Negroes and the priesthood or something. You know, so the language is a little dated. 
hmm. definitely important matter or something. And then hmm. made announcement. My f- the phones have been ringing off the hook. Hmm. Just stuff, stuff like you know, that. Yeah. But there's some interesting little tidbits in there. So this was the this was the the diary. Well, that was not for pu- the the public consumption diary, not may, the may, private maybe, feelings maybe, diary. Maybe, but it's also important to remember that Spencer Kimball's health deteriorated quite rapidly in the last few years of his presidency. He was kind of incoherent and and pretty much, you know, uh, in and out of like consciousness and and you see that the diaries sort of peter out in 1981 which is i think when his health really started to, to he deteriorate. passed in november of 85 right so the last few years there he was not he was he, i don't want to say he wasn't running the church but, but i don't probably think wasn't but he probably running wasn't church. running the church like the, i mean the story goes in 1984 that he was lucid and called gordon B. Hinckley into his room and said, Nelson Oaks in that order, and then slipped back into his kind of unconsciousness or non-lucid uh-huh. state. And so that's where Nelson and Oaks got their, their call from to the apostleship, which I found it, it's an interesting thing because neither had ever been a general authority before. Usually there's sort of a ladder or something, but, mm-hmm. but anyway, that's the story. Hmm. Interesting story. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, like back to Beverly Campbell and the and the idea that Eve made a strategic decision here. the 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 temple ceremony basically says that Lucifer comes to Adam and says, "Um, hey, have some of the fruit of this tree. It'll make you wise." And Adam says, "Well, I'm not going to eat that." Father told me that I would die if I ate it. And Lucifer says, well, you shall surely not die, but you'll be as the gods. You'll know good and evil. And Adam says, I will not partake. And Lucifer says, oh, you will not? We shall see. I'm going to go talk to your wife. (laughs) Right. He goes and talks to Eve. And um, he explains that there's no other way for her to comprehend that everything has its opposites you know your eyes will be opened you'll have knowledge you can go read this stuff it's uh, on the web if you've been to the temple you've heard it it's not it, uh, it definitely is sacred material a lot of it is scriptural i don't in my opinion and i know that my opinion conflicts with a lot of people in the that would be considered authoritative uh, as long as you're not you know super profane about it this is it's okay to talk about this stuff right there are certain things that you need to keep private because you covenant in the temple not to reveal them, but the language of it and and as we've talked before on the podcast, the story of the fall in the garden is really important. I think um, Hugh Nibley, and I, I, I think I've mentioned this before, probably in, the, in podcast 92, probably quoted it. Hugh Nibley made the point that the stories of the garden and the fall were nursery tales and that they ought to be considered nursery tales and that adults need to 
not take them literally because they're symbolic and, and they're meant to evoke certain imagery and get, and get, you know, different principles or different ideas out there about creation, about mankind, et cetera, et cetera. One of the most significant things I think relative to the Jewish or the, the creation garden story that we get through the transmitted through the Jews in the old Testament, which is the flavor that the temple endowment takes. One of the most significant, significant aspects of it is that the, the temple endowment gives us this instruction that you, you know, a couple will come to the altar. You should both, you should all consider yourselves respectively to be like this couple at the altar, Adam and Eve. Right, so each member in the ceremony is supposed to consider themselves an Adam or an Eve, depending on whether they're, they're a man or a woman. Right, that's a really important key relative to the symbolic nature of the Jewish creation story. Is that you're in the you're in the movie, you're part of it, and you're Adam, you're Eve, you're the one dealing with Lucifer in in this type of context. Right, so. But that, but yeah, consider it a nursery tale. Anyway, Eve thinks about it, and, and, and they made an effort in, what, about 10 years ago when they revamped the, maybe it was 10, eight, eight years ago, they began to revamp the temple movies for the first time since the mid-90s. <clears throat> yeah. And then they made a big deal about Eve having a, you know, a draw, it was really dramatic. It was like, rather than just having the actors read basically read the script or just say the script without a lot of artistic interpretation. They had Eve very conflicted about it and she cries and she, the the weight of the decision is a big deal to her. And now they've changed that. Now it's just a slideshow. Yeah. Those movies have been scrapped and I think it's mostly because the, some of the, some actors would turn gay, right? <laughs> Isn't that why they had to scrap it? Because they'd have an actor that went anti I, I don't Mormon know. or gay or something like that. So I then think, they had to scrap the movie. I don't know. I think the current actors, are, I may have heard that are, from an unscrupulous source. Or I think something. the main, the reason they, they, the, the endowment changed again recently quite a bit. And so it's just, you can, you can, you can edit any dialogue over a slideshow. You don't have to re-record anything. They're not actually saying anything. So you, you could use the same photos regardless of changes in the dialogue okay. rather than filming a, a new movie. But I guess Well, they could even do like motion shots without <clears throat> a lot of words and say the words over the top of it and then pause. They could get a little motion in there. You know, that's always fun to get some motion. Do you have any influence over... I mean, you've been in film. No, I have Can no. Can you influence. call those guys up and maybe <laughs> we could liven this up a little bit? No, especially now that they just changed everything again, and you know they they got they revoked the, your privileges. Well, I never had any. Oh, okay. Well, I am kind of jo- <clears throat> joking here. But uh, anyway, I think it's all. I think it's just very interesting to see this. I think it fits into what we started today's recording off with, uh, kind of this idea of. You know Greta Thunberg being awarded an I you know uh, an honorary degree in theology, and then you look at just sort of the influence and the 
praise and the admiration of the world and how desirable that is to everybody, everybody really, everybody wants to be accepted and uh, uh, has a seat at the table. And I think that you've seen that with the, the church. Mormons are famous for latching on to sort of, um, uh, what would you call them, kind of uh, validation rumors? Like, did you hear that Steve Martin is a member <laughs> of the church? Or, uh, you know, there there was some fun ones that I heard as a missionary, like the, that Bono, the singer of U2, had, had listened to the missionaries. He took the discussions. And loved it all, but couldn't come to grips with paying so much money and tithing because he was so wealthy. But he wrote the, the song. The rumors get bigger and bigger. He wrote the song, uh, one love is all about his his experience learning about the church and <laughs> where the streets have no name is actually about Salt Lake City because the streets are numbered. <laughs> like there's just like people get really creative and uh, of course it's all just uh, we could have a whole show on the Mormon legends like oh, the yeah, three Nephites standing behind the sister missionaries. There's lots of those at and, the serial killer's house. And I think that's one of the reasons the I'm a Mormon campaign, the ad campaign I'm a Mormon was, was so popular because it was like hey look at us. We we have cool people in our church. So we have rock stars and we have Gladys athletes Knight. and David Archuleta, right, Steve Young. Right. And and we have all of these these cool people, and we're we're cool too. And we, you know, you've called Utah the Me Too state, and maybe we're the Me Too church as well. Like, oh, for sure. And I think that idea has really been embraced. Where you have terms now, like that you see commonly, like like global faith or global faith leader, and um, you know, the I got an email from the church, basically, uh, you know, promoting advertising. The upcoming general conference and said, join us this Palm Sunday, which is marketing that they don't, or terminology that you wouldn't have seen previously. And, and so that's, yeah, we never talk about that. <clears throat> it's a kind of, except maybe in the, Sunday school, you kind of almost call doctor. it like the, 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 the Christianism or the Christ, this Christianity, the Christianization, Christianization of, the of, of the church. And I don't say that in, in any flippant way, it's just that they're using more Christian type terminology to uh, describe themselves, and is that good or bad, or is it? Uh, yeah, what what is going on really? Well, I think what, I, I think it's it's the listeners do want to know what is going on here. <laughs> well, that's a great question, not a dumb question, not a dumb question. That's a good question, isn't it? <clears throat> and, and I think who, it who are we really? That's I think that's what well, I would I would ask. Who are we really as Mormons? Well, I think. That that is the ultimate question. I think that the church, as an institution, is going through like an identity crisis because they want to be accepted, right? They want to be thought of as a mainstream, global Christian faith. But aren't we already? I mean, haven't we proven that? Didn't didn't Nelson get some sort of a peace prize from a university <clears throat> that's? Like the the Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. Yeah, that's um, who, who's the other guy. Um, these black leaders they have a peace prize dedicated to these. I could look that up. Fa- very famous. He won't great. be able to. It's it's a recent thing, and he won't. He isn't going to travel to receive it. It's a, it's something in Atlanta, I believe. I could see if I could find the actual name. 
but um um yeah here it is okay this is a this is called the um it's the Mandela King Gandhi Prize. Gandhi right? King Mandela Peace Prize from Morehouse College, a historically black school in Atlanta. The honor is awarded, this is according to the Salt Lake Tribune, the honor is awarded to a, quote, to a person who promotes peace and positive social transformation through nonviolent means. The individuals use their global leadership to affirm peace, justice, diversity, and pluralism. Pluralism is something the church has been very opposed to, right? I guess it depends on what how, what does that mean in this context, like diversity and pluralism. Well, the idea is two or more, okay, reading from the Oxford Dictionary, a conditioner system in which two or more states, groups, principles, sources of authority, etc., coexist. And uh, when we're talking about religions, that's like you don't run around and say, well, I'm the true church, which is something Mormonism is known for is saying, well, no, we're the true church. It right. Even made it into South Park, right? When everybody gets to hell and they're like, well, sorry, the answer was, well, who, who, who was the true church? Well, I'm sorry. It was the Mormons. And everyone's like, oh, well, okay. Okay. South Park has clowned on the Mormons a couple of times. They have a whole restoration episode, which if you don't take it too seriously, can be, is kind of funny. <laughs> Right, so the church, again, the website here here says, the prize is named after Gandhi, King, and Mandela, and it's intended for someone who promotes peace and positive social transformation through nonviolent means and uses their global leadership to affirm peace, justice, diversity, and pluralism. Right. So and This is on the church website. So it's... it's President I, Nelson to be honored for global leadership, the byline says. Morehouse College is giving a peace prize to the prophet. So I, I think things like that have been really important. Just this just in. I think things like that have been really important to the church as of late. You know, kind of this, we're, we're a legitimate global influential organization. You know, we've heard the term good global citizen a lot, global faith leader, global faith. And I think that, I, I, I say that there's an, identity crisis because i think people maybe are in our age demographic and maybe a little older are used to different terms uh like things like peculiar people or in the world but not of the world chosen generation chosen generation and and you say what you will about those phrases but they were kind of in opposition or or at least um you know well yeah and they were just different or opposite of global acceptance it's like we you you stand for the truth no matter what no matter what the consequences right do what is right let the consequences follow isn't that a song (laughs) i mean this article that the church has up is interesting because it talks about president nelson meeting with the naacp in detroit and how the church is giving money for black scholarships a million dollars a year over three years, which is not bad. I mean, the the things that are being said here, you know, we we are brothers and sisters, each of us the child of a loving Father in heaven. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, invites all to come unto him, black, white, bond and free, male and female. 
which I think is not exactly what it says in Second Nephi twenty six thirty three, but uh, I'm not. I hope nobody out there construes this as saying we we don't like the fact that uh, you know people of all races are coming together and helping each other. But that's not the point. The point is, right. it's like because of the stigma that Mormons have had in the past, we're buying that influence. Right? Are we not? I mean, was there a donation made to Morehouse College? I don't know. Why does he? Right. Like, yeah. How does Russell Nelson? It doesn't look very organic. That's all I'm saying. How does how does he show up on the Morehouse College? radar you know and who knows right but for for the purposes of what you know like for promoting pluralism right that's right you would you would imagine that an lds president would would be criticized by by somebody giving out a something called the gandhi king mandela peace prize like because of uh, speaking, div- you know what's now known or what's now today called thing, you know things that are called hate speech or division or, you know, because they're speaking truth. Because truth is very divisive, especially nowadays when there's no such thing as truth and truth is just whatever you want it to be. And ling- our language has been ruined, and anybody who takes a a, a stand based on Judeo-Christian Western civilization principles is usually, you know, cast off as a heretic or a, a hate monger. Right. So uh, I got to correct what I said earlier. Yeah, Second Nephi twenty six thirty three does say that uh, the Lord invites all to come unto Him. He denieth none that come unto Him, black, white, bond, and free, male and female. Um. He remembereth the heathen, also the pagans, right? <laughs> and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. So last week we talked about the pagans. So generally it'll, it'll usually say old and young, bond and free, male and female. It caught me off guard there because I didn't think that the Book of Mormon made, a, uh, made that distinction between black and white ever or, or, or made note of that. But yeah, it's some it's something to think about, right? It's like, okay. Ru- Russell Nelson. Um Again, what would they say? It says it said using their global leadership to affirm peace, justice, diversity. There's a keyword, diversity and pluralism. Positive social transformation. Right. What those those are keywords in the the woco sphere for a lot of what's going on right now, which is essentially discrimination against the white male, because somehow in the year twenty twenty three the white male is wildly advantaged because of their whiteness, and and I think that that. That idea is just, it flies so in the face of reality because it has more to do with your generational money, you know, whether, you know, there, there are people of all races that have advantages because of their, you know, their, their dynastic <laughs> or um, generational influence that their families have had 
over time. And yeah, in, in Western societies, a lot of it's white because Western society was predominantly white. Yeah. But if you go to China, it's your, your power brokers are Chinese. If you go to Russia, they're Russian. If you go to Africa, they're African, except in a lot of parts of Africa, there, there were Northern Europeans that came in. And so then this is why the people in South Africa were so upset over the apartheid and the, and the whites having a disproportionate influence in their society because they were not the majority. They were a, a, a smaller minority. But in America, which is a huge melting pot, it has been white. It's just the way it was. It's not that white people are bad. And now the, the word diversity, the word pluralism, the, the words social transformation are all sort of keywords linked to the idea that no, white is bad. You're privileged because you're white. This is, right. it, it is in, by definition racist because we're basing it on the color of the skin instead of the other factors relating to a person's upbringing, uh, what advantages they might have, you know, what, what, things that affect their life. And I, th- I think it, there are certain places, I guess, in the country where, where the ra- race of a person or the color of their skin matters in a certain way, but especially out in the West, in the Western states, in uh, California, I would say even in the North, for the most part, in most neighborhoods, it's not that, it's not about race. You have neighborhoods that, where races congregate but it's really not about race. The advantage, there's a lot of money poured in, I think a lot more money poured into schools uh, in inner cities in, in democratic states and, and cities than there are in, into Utah schools. Is that, is that incorrect? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, we pay lower taxes. Well, I guess we could do a study of it, but... <laughs> Beverly Campbell's books, by the way, were written in 2003 and 2005. And what are the titles of those books? Um, um, let's see here. The one in 2003 was called Eve and the Choice Made in Eden. And then 2005, the sequel, Eve and the Mortal Journey. <clears throat> 2005. Well, if we're ever going to get canceled, it's going to be because of this episode, because we've hit on race, <laughs> women, and the church. <clears throat> this will probably just be the final episode of the Mind Virus you, show. Is that because you mentioned Gladys Knight? Because <laughs> she's a member, and she's black, and she's a woman. Right. What are her pronouns? I would assume there's... That, if we, if we hit on the trans thing, that's, <laughs> that's the, uh, the hat trick. We, we definitely will be excommunicated for that from the world. <laughs> <clears throat> well, maybe we already have been uh, based on our our, our listener our listener statistical decline stats. Yeah, Pepe gave us a little bit of uh, an encouragement in one of the comments. By the way, I don't know if you saw that. I saw that he's saying that there's only so many black pills a, a one person can take. <laughs> I think that's what he said. Nevertheless, a choice lays among the listening audience audiences: black pill or black pill. <laughs> he said, alternative reality or actual reality. And then we had Whitaker that piped in and he said, yes, I finally finished White Noise. Such a weird experience. Do I get a t-shirt or something? 
you know. You watched a movie watched and a you movie. want a t-shirt? You didn't even contribute to the story contest. How would Pepe feel? He, he did a lot of work <laughs> for five minutes to write those stories. <clears throat> Maybe 10 minutes. I went all the way to the end of this movie and all I got was this stupid t-shirt. It's a little bit of a chore to watch that movie. It's a different movie for sure, as we've, as we've definitely Talked pointed about. out. Yeah. <clears throat> we're referencing the movie White Noise if you're just joining us, and we talked about that in an episode 117. Yeah, well, anyway, you asked an important question. What's really going on? And I think... Or uh, who are we really? Or who are we question. really? And uh, I think that's a, great, that's a great question for people to ponder. Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Is that how that goes? Yeah, I'm a big, big, big Eminem fan. I'm not, and I just know that... I that love the peanut butter I, I think ones. That's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, me too. I wonder. Like, Peanut is not bad either. I I was thinking about this recently when I I was a missionary in the '90s, and most of my time was spent knocking on doors. Uh, it was pre-internet. We would occasionally have what we called uh, media referrals, and that would be if somebody saw an ad on television for a free Book of Mormon or Bible and mm-hmm. would call the number and a missionary in the MTC would answer the phone and say, mm-hmm. hello, what can I get for you? And mm-hmm. They would request the Bible or the Book of Mormon or a video. You would hand out Bibles? Yeah. And Oh, that's cool. And, we never did that. And we would, uh, they would get the person's information, right? And then they would, that missionary would make a phone call up to the mission office and then the mission office would make a phone call to us, which we'd probably get at the end of the day because we didn't have cell phones. We'd get home and listen to our messages on the answering machine. Hey, elders, this is Elder so-and-so, uh, assistant to the president. I just uh, wanted to make sure you remembered that. And uh, also <laughs> got a media referral for you. Names uh, such and such, and here's their address. And we'd write it down, and then we would go deliver the thing. Now, half the time, the person would deny ever ordering anything. But sometimes if the timing worked out, we could deliver whatever it is they requested the same day, which blew their minds. But often it was a Bible or a Book of Mormon or a video like Together Forever or On the Way Home or Our Heavenly Father's Plan. Mm -hmm. You you remember those. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, we just knocked on doors. and. Back then, just about everybody that we talked to had heard of the church and would usually say something like, oh, yeah, you guys are big on families. I've seen your ads. Or, oh, yeah, you guys, you guys have lots of kids. It was usually a positive image. There was always the exceptions, right? Mm-hmm. But back then, it was like, you guys are known for your family values. I like that message. You know, I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. Get off my porch. (laughs) Um, I wonder if that's changed nowadays. I wonder if, if the, I wonder what the, and I don't know, and I'm not pretending to know because I'm not out there knocking on doors in that particular part of the place, world I was in. But I wonder now what, what, 
you said, who are we really? What, and I wonder, what is it, what's the one-liner that people think of when they think of the church nowadays or when they get missionaries at their door? Is it, oh, I saw your musical? Or is it, well, if you, you know, so what just, is it? I just Googled up, what kind of ads is the Mormon church running? And you get Reuters from, uh, Reuters, Reuters, I don't know how to pronounce that. You're the pronunciator. You get them from 2011, Latter-day Saints launch, I'm a Mormon, ad campaign. Right. And then uh, Cora, how, how do Mormons run so many ads on the TV and the internet? Uh, let's see, when was that asked? Well, that's because they have lots and lots and lots of money. But I don't, I wonder yeah, this if they... Is, this is four years ago, but then you've got uh, back to 2011, 2012, the Mormon church uh, is running ads, uh, Mormon New York City ad campaign, I'm a Mormon, very savvy branding, according to ABC News. This is, this is like 12 years ago, though. I, don't, I, I wonder if they still run the TV ads, kind of the sappy, feel-good. You, know, you remember the ones that had the tagline, family. Isn't it about time? Family, it's what's for dinner. <laughs> but I, I don't know if they, they're still running those TV ads or if it's all just internet digital stuff now. We had, a, we had a representative from our state visit us in Elders Quorum recently and was talking about all the, the great ways that social media is facilitating missionary work. And mm -hmm. I have mixed feelings on that that we don't need to go into, but I just wondered, like, I know that knocking on doors isn't effective in the sense of, you know, effective has a loaded meaning when you're talking about missionaries. If you served a mission, you know that word triggers something deep in your psyche when you hear, mm -hmm. are you an effective missionary, elder? <laughs> but uh, knocking on doors is rather inefficient. But I think speaking to people eye to eye, mouth to mouth, face mm -hmm. to face, as one man speaketh to another, I think is quite effective. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, I wonder if more, maybe the ad spend is less on television and more on clickies and you know social media banners, stuff like that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But it still makes me wonder, like, what is it if you went out there into the world and knocked on a door and said, I'm... A missionary from the church, what, what would be their reaction nowadays? Is it, oh yeah, the family church, or is it something completely different? I don't know. It's something I was thinking about, ponderizing lately. Yeah, if you've ponderized this, please uh, post on the website, mindvirus.show, a comment and let us know what you think. What, what are we running? Like if I, if I try to figure out, um, again, I ask the question, to Google, what kind of ads is the Mormon church running in 2023? I get, you know, NPR talking about the He Gets Us campaign, and that, that's not um, a Mormon campaign. No, I think that's, it was started by the founder of Hobby Lobby or something. That's, I, maybe, I, that's He Gets Us LLC is what they... Uh, label themselves as on those ads. They're, yeah. they're, they're really compelling ads. They have some money um, because they paid for a Super Bowl slot this last Super Bowl. It, show, it shows that the He Gets Us campaign does, right? The church would never pay for a Super Bowl ad. Right. He Gets Us paid for a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. It shows uh, the church factoring heavily into the search results even on the 2023 thing. 
but all of it's all about the I'm a Mormon ad campaign from 12 years ago, which that that is an interesting topic in and of itself. The I'm a Mormon campaign was huge there for a couple of years, although they did stop it during the Mitt Romney presidential run. That's That comes up in the searches. But they even didn't, didn't we do a movie, Meet the Mormons? What year was Meet the Mormons? There was two, two of those. There was a sequel. And that probably was... 2014. Yeah, right in that era. Meet the Mormons. And it on IMDb gets a 6.5, 6.5 stars. And of course, we were all encouraged to go see that on opening weekend to get it, to, to try to make it artificially popular so that the rest of the world would try to go see it. The rest of the nation would go see it because, oh, it's, apparently this is a great movie. And this, this went on, what, till kind of 2015, 2016, that that had some reverberations, if I remember right. you know what, But it was big. It was really big in uh, 2011, 2012, 13, 14, 15, yeah, and, yeah, the Romney campaign was 2012. That, it was short-lived. So, you know, Romney obviously did not achieve the presidency. <clears throat> no, he did not. He was never meant to. He might have known that when he ran. I don't know. Well, I, I, you think he really thought he was going to win? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I've, I've maybe mentioned I've met Romney. I just don't on know On a couple how, of occasions. Okay. And, and found him surprisingly bland in real life, just like he was on television. Like you kind of un- could understand someone freezing up a little bit on television, but he was like that in normal life. And I was unimpressed <laughs> at, at the time. I was, I was really hopeful that he could be a, a, a good counter to the first four years of Obama and also the, the madness of George Bush and the economic bailouts, the endless drones and bombs and democracy falling from the sky and exploding yeah and i i quickly realized that he was just another kind of long in a long line of statists that i was kind of pulled back my support (laughs) my enthusiasm enthusiasm. um, you curbed your enthusiasm (laughs) right so yeah i I think was, I just think what's interesting is the this was going like millions and millions of dollars spent on I'm a Mormon. Yeah. And then one of the first thing that's, things that happened what was it 2018 when um it's one of the first things the presidency president, switched. It's almost one of the very first things President Nelson did. It was, was a U-turn. Not only that, but called it a victory for Satan when we used that term Mormon. Right, you're right. I didn't want to like well, I'm just, it was more than a U-turn. It was a, a condemnation of this thing, which has, uh, there's a talk from him in like 1990 where he brings up that theme. So it's been a longstanding beef thing with him. And I, I'm not Pet sure. Peeve, yeah. Beef. I don't know what, where its origins lie, but. Point of contention. There's sort of a, there was sort of a, if you read it or watch it in that way, there's sort of a back and forth dueling sermons with him and Hinckley. Yeah. Or, and Monson as well. Yeah, because Hinckley and Monson were pretty much in lockstep with each other. Well, it seemed like every other conference, Thomas Monson would quote like the 
I'm a Mormon boy poem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he loved that. And and honestly, I, I liked it too, because there was, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. There was a certain cultural identity and pride in this idea that we're different. We're, we're Mormons and we're different. Yes, of course, we're Christians. And if you believe we are or don't, who cares? I know that I'm a Christian and I worship the Savior, Jesus Christ, but I'm also a Mormon who, uh, you know, uh, uh, adheres to the principles of the Restoration and Joseph Smith's doctrines and teachings that came through him and the Book of Mormon and so forth and so on. And, and it seems like that's sort of been, that whole ide- identity has been uh, kind of washed away in, in these changes. And it's really hard for someone to say in an elevator pitch, you know, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. By then, the conversation is, uh, you know, over. But you could still, you could say Mormon, and people would know what you're talking about, and still do. In, in the real world, press, you know, the, the newspapers, as we saw recently with headlines about the SEC, uh, fine. <laughs> Most still are using Mormon. The Mormon Church, fine. The Mormon this, Mormon that, and so I guess within the church, maybe this I, this uh, campaign to eliminate the, the term Mormon has sort of worked. Outside the church, it's it's a lost cause. But it was a it was a sudden change for sure when uh, President Nelson came in and and took took that U turn, as you put it. Right. I'm just trying to find information here on what the church's stance is on climate change. Because it looks like, you know, the Salt Lake Tribune has an article here about how Mormons want to save the planet. It's part of their theology. 63% of active Mormons believe in climate change. That's, it's weird the way that it is, it is a religion. The way it's, uh, believe, the way it's talked you about, believe you, be- in it you either believe a, in it or you don't. Or you're a climate denier. Yeah, you're a denier. Uh, I'm trying to find some information. Recently, Elder Bednar attended a uh, climate a climate conference. I'm trying to find the the name of it, but it was one of these you know UN affiliated uh, kind of global leader WEF style conferences. Mm-hmm. There is a the first results that come up is the newsroom, and there's a r- article by Elder Stephen Snow, 2018, talking about the moral imper- imperative of environmental stewardship. Here, speaking of it being a religion, <laughs> this 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 uh, conference. Okay, this is the headline from CBN News. It's a Christian news website. Mm-hmm. Clergy hold multi-faith climate repentance ceremony as UN summit wraps up in Egypt. So it was a climate repentance ceremony. That's not the headline's term. That's what it was called by the people involved. Were we there? Yes, Bednar, Elder ben- Bednar, Bednar was, was there. there. And I would love to know more about the ceremony. What what actually was? What kind of ceremony was it? And what were they repenting of? What sins were being uh, repented for? I wonder. 
the sins of living? <laughs> is it a sin to exist and to thrive on the planet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, said, quote, We've tried to formulate ten principles, what we call climate repentance, that is acknowledgement of where we've all, as a human race, fallen short. End quote. Wow. Ten principles, but not commandments. Not commandments. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Stephen E. Snow here, there's a, there was a quote here. I'm trying to figure out. He talks about the second principle. God expects every one of his sons and daughters to act as good stewards of the land, dot, 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 dot. One of our church leaders, Dallin Oaks, shared some concerns in February. These are challenging times, dot, 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 dot. As one commentary on mormonnewsroom.org says, so this is a 70 quoting it. The earth is vulnerable. Excessive consumption sullies God, sees wanton waste, blackens his air. The creation groans under the weight of recklessness and indulgence that neglects both the poor earth and the earth's poor. And then this is. This is um, snow, I believe. Climate change is real, and it's our responsibility as stewards to do what we can to limit the damage done to God's creation. So that statement right there is that, according to Stephen E. Snow, climate ch- man, what they mean is man-made climate change right. is real. In context, I don't think you can argue what I just that I the the I don't think you can argue the conclusion I'm coming to here is that Stephen E. Snow, at least speaking for the church, uh, added during a panel discussion Wednesday, October 2018, at a symposium at Utah State University, said that climate change is real. And that, which he means man-made climate change, because climate does change. That's why they call it climate. Of course climate, it does. Climate is about cyclical changes in the weather. And that's happened <clears throat> since the beginning of time. And what they're trying to do is take our money and uh, limit the amount of people on the earth right? based on the idea that somehow we're affecting the climate in a significant way. And the amount of freedom that the people who are left on the earth might right, have. Right, right, right. Uh, there's a difference too. I think I think conservation and stewardship are divine principles. Um, all, most of the problems in the world today arise from the, the inversion and the hijacking, the perversion of true principles. Uh, I think Hugh, Hugh Nibley wrote, has written a lot about conservation, and uh, I, I think he's done a, a decent job of kind of threading the needle between stewardship, conservation, and what we would call today environmentalism or activism. And you can look up his stuff on that. But but that's not what these these, you know, COP twenty seven climate summits I was taught, are all about. Yeah, growing up I was taught leave no trace, you know, be a good steward of the environment. You don't want to pollute. That there's that there's like this balance, right? And I think you and I have a lot in common on that front. It's like, we love the outdoors. We'd love to conserve in a responsible way. There's the, the big problem is that you have to balance pro- private property rights, mm-hmm. use of the land, the, the fact that we do need resources with um, the idea that people should be responsible and their, their actions affect other people. So if you pollute a river, which in China, this is going on big time, they're, they're, they're involved in massive pollution mm-hmm. and th- they can't, 
they're they're not using the the land in a very cooperative way when they poison the people downstream from them, right? So right. there's there is a place for a community to come together and manage expectations and manage the use of of things that affect each other, right? Right. And there's so, there's a lot of good resources out there for uh, ways that the environment can be managed and conserved, and people can be good stewards that don't involve mm-hmm. that don't involve government at all or government private co-op but certainly don't involve tyranny and you know the mass extinction right. of three quarters of the population or, or this yeah the, the succumbing to that propaganda because right like we've been taught our whole lives that nuclear winter could is a possibility and that things like the fukushima disaster or more more significantly bikini atoll tests of nuclear bombs in the 60s uh, out in the pacific and the Chernobyl disaster, that those wrecked the earth for bazillions of years and that Mother Earth would never recover. And what we've found, and it, it even gets emphasized in like the Simpsons cartoon in, in caricature form where like they have the three-headed fish. Do you remember the episode where um, Burns is coming over for dinner to the Simpsons house and, and Marge serves him up a three-headed, or sorry, not a th- it's a three-eyed fish, right. not a three-headed fish. Right. And, and he tries to get the bite into his mouth, and then he, he chokes it out. He spits it out. Do you remember that? That's hilarious. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea has always been during my formative years in, in, in the last, you know, at least before the woke era. Heck, we call it the woke era. Something broke a few years ago, and we just like went into like wholesale craziness. Oh, yeah. The, the- just in the last few years. But, but, uh, the whole the, there was a there was an undercurrent of propaganda that somehow we could destroy the earth and as people have gone back to chernobyl as they've uh, scientists have gone back out to bikini atoll and looked at looked at these um beautiful natural places decades later they've found that the earth is recovering just fine <laughs> we have a very resilient planet and whatever we do to it like the you know, on one hand, you look at this uh, climate thing as if it's arrogant and eugenicist. You know, it's it's evil in these ways, but it, but it really is arrogant. That's the that's my main point: is that to think we could affect the Earth in that way is <laughs> how how insignificant how insignificant we are on the face of the Earth is is quite dramatic it's, it's quite it's astounding these are the 10 principles for climate repentance <clears throat> one we are stewards of this world two creation manifests divinity three everything in life is interconnected four do no harm five look after tomorrow six rise above ego for our world seven change our inner climate Eight, repent and return. Nine, every action matters. Ten, use mind, open heart. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Like, use your head? I don't, I don't know. I think of a lot of these are fairly, uh, like, uh, do no harm, and yet a lot of the climate... Uh, this is just marketing. A lot of the climate activism, the climate uh, proposals would harm billions of people. Billions. So this is marketing for 
for rich people. Change our inner climate. For people who have time to think about changing their inner, inner climate instead of scrapping for food. Right. That's, that's what this is. Repent and return to, to where? Return where? To the grave, to the earth, to the, to to the, the earth ne- from whence thou came. To the next climate conference? Whence thou camest, came. <laughs> but see, so the LDS Church had a representative at this, at this summit, and it, the question I have is, does representation and attendance there denote endorsement of it? I think I, it, it denotes pluralism. Uh, it's never been condemned, as far as I know. No one's ever returned and repented from going to one of these things and said, we attended and we, uh, we have seen the enemy and it is us. You know, they, they've never re- returned and reported to us uh, about their experiences here. We've also had representatives at some of these interfaith summits on different issues and social issues and things. And, and we don't get a lot of, we get, we get these like shiny press releases about how influential we are, that we get to go to these things and even sometimes get to speak for a few minutes. Since, since this issue, since, since this, uh, since this episode will be our last and um, <laughs> you and I will never see each other again after we're taken to the gulag, uh, Joking, of course, that will never happen. I don't want to put that out there into the universe, right? <laughs> but uh, since since we're making a laundry list of these things, what about Agenda 2030 here? I just Googled up the LDS Church Agenda 2030, and the top result is entitled Sustainable Societies from the Church of Jesus Christ dot org website and you have a talk here by elder christopherson Mm -hmm. october 2020 i believe he gave that let's see yeah it's october 2020 and he says uh in 2015 the united nations adopted what was called the 2030 agenda for sustainable development it was described as a shared blueprint for peace and prosperity for people of and the planet now and into the future the agenda for sustainable development includes 17 goals to be achieved by the year 2030, such as no poverty, zero hunger, quality education, gender equality, clean water, and sanitation, and decent work. It, I mean, it all sounds good, but the if you really look into the dark underbelly of these uh, United Nations policy goals, it involves things like taking your guns, locking you in a 15-minute city, right? and it's, you know, forced, it's the end of human freedom. Forced behavior banning of certain things, forcing of other certain things. It's, well, that's what it says, but what the reality is, is the end of human freedom. I mean, it's dark. Well, it it's is. very dark. It is. It is. And that talk was, I think he goes on to say that you can't have sustainable societies without the gospel. And it was, depending on your point of view, you could have seen that talk as a, uh, a condemnation of Agenda 2030 or an endorsement. It oh, was, really? Okay, so was, maybe I, right off the bat, maybe I'm... Maybe Google is well, but what, but what I'm saying is, maybe I'm is, just glossing over I, it. I found it very curious that he would even bring it up because he he should know that, especially in October 2020, Agenda 2030 was a, a, a sort of a dog whistle term, like it was a hot t- uh, topic, and he he doesn't really condemn it but he doesn't really endorse it either 
it's almost just saying like, it's sort of like what Sharon Eubank said, who's been very enthusiastic about okay, Agenda so that, 2030. That's the, that's the second link on Google, and it is from the churchofjesuschrist.org website. She was involved in a forum. Uh, here, I'm just reading this without having... Well, she, yeah. uh, I'm going to read it without having already read it, so I'm not sure what this is going to say, but it's, she was asked the question, can you identify three main challenges to women's full engagement in furthering the Agenda 2030, focusing on SDG 5, which is gender equality, number 10, reduced inequalities, 16, peace, justice, and strong institutions. What are the possible forward ways to overcome these challenges? Eubanks says, the challenge I choose to highlight is the assumption in policy circles that religion has nothing to nothing helpful to say about women because it's traditional, patriarchal, and the source of conflict. That's not only untrue, but it ignores the importance of religious faith to women themselves, 80% who identify with a religious religion and look to it for guidance. At the same time, religions can actually can be actually held up in patriarchal constructs and practices. Part of the look forward is in recognizing the importance of mobilizing women of faith to, to work on sustainable development goals, SDGs, issues and to acknowledge their faith not as a barrier but as the key to progress and success the 2030 agenda won't happen without religion and religion won't happen without women they are the movers so she seems to be she's very, very clearly she's very supportive of this and wants right. to use mormonism to achieve agenda, achieve agenda 2030. 2030 so she's going to use mormonism as a lever so but is she out there without you know, she is she off the reservation? What that this is twenty eighteen. No, that was first a, first counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency. Does the first counselor in any general presidency do anything without being instructed or no, being, she, being in lockstep with the uh, the agenda? She's not, that's how, she's not going rogue there because she was that was at an event in Salt Lake City, a UN event that the church sponsored. Oh, the and church hosted, sponsored the event. Or at least hosted it. Okay. And she's been on the record since with similar statements. Okay, well then I just, again, I'll reiterate the question. Who are we really? Right. And that's a, that's a, the answer to that question is very important. <laughs> You're darn right it is. <laughs> because you that, want me on that wall. <laughs> you, you, you need me on that wall. Sir, the witness has rights. Because right now, if you look at uh, all of these Kind of World Economic Forum, UN, WHO, all of these big kind of summits and meetings and things. Most of them have a uh, a religion based, a religious based counterpart, like this faith based uh, climate conference. And at most of these things, the the LDS Church has representatives at. We had representatives at the signing of the. Uh, marriage act. What is what's it called? The it's not the Defense of Marriage Act. It's the Destruction of Marriage Act. <laughs> no, it's uh, the was mari- this the one where the, they the, the new one they gave uh the the it's not the one about gay marriage. It is. It's the one that legalized it in all fifty states. It's just just recently signed. Oh, really? That was just recently signed. Yeah, like within, I guess I'm not paying any within attention. the last three months. The, one, the, the, the church endorsed that legislation and then sent representatives to the signing party on the White House lawn. So the, the, the church is at these mover and shaker events. Which, respect for Marriage respect Act for signed marriage in Act. December of 2022. The church 
newsroom says that they did it because of the law's necessary protections for religious freedom. President Oaks explained the church's position in a newsroom article. I will link to that. What's important is that it's not religious freedom. It's religious, what they, what they would call religious freedom for institutions. It is not an individual freedom. And you know what? Where I get frustrated here is we already have we already have protections for religious freedom. It's called the First Amendment. The First Amendment protects religion and freedom mm-hmm. of religion, period. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, it's I, supposed, again, it, again, it, it, again, what, what for I, the what, last 200 years it's been interpreted that way. Perhaps, Mr. Flood, we should change our opinion. Where I'm, where I'm confused here, and, and it brings and I don't really know how to answer your question of who are we really, is the church didn't need to endorse that legislation. They certainly didn't need to send representatives to pose with gay senators, uh, as they did on the White House lawn. They certainly didn't need to be enthusiastically uh, promoting it and pushing it, but they did. So that was your interpretation, is they're promoting and, and pushing it like, we're here, we're here too, we're... Yeah, don't, they, don't forget uh, us. They, we're we're on board with all this. Well, they seem to be, uh, because they they attend all these conferences. They okay, they so were enthusiastic about all of the COVID the restrictions. Gay, the gay issue has been going on for a long time, and that's been a sore spot, right? And uh, Boyd K. Packer passed a while ago, you know, and he, he was fairly controversial. And I don't necessarily want to get into into that, but we're just looking. I just want to look at it kind of from a historical shift, right? From from a standpoint of the the historical process by which this this change has occurred. And you can argue that um, I don't. Again, I don't want to get into the gay issue, but there's a lot of arguments whether a person is born that way, uh, that it's existed in in. Um, societies in the past and i would argue that the clinton policy of don't ask don't tell was pretty good let's just leave it alone (laughs) you know but the the move in public circles in the last 10-15 years has been let's no let's celebrate this and let's let's indoctrinate your kids let's put it into the schools that's that that's where i think the, the line has been crossed at some point in the last little while the line has been crossed to the point where now and there are and there are people who are gay that are out there um, trying to be activist against the transgender issue because it destroys the whole uh, alternative lifestyle, same sex attraction thing. Right? Is that not is that not correct? That's correct. Yeah. So because the trans we we've reached a whole new level here, and and I think it's it's there are arguments to be made on the same sex side of things that don't apply on the transgender side of things. Like we reached a, 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 an obvious level of insanity. You're going to have guys lifting weights against girls, running 100-meter dash races against girls. We're going to have the drag shows. I mean, the drag show thing for ki- family, family-friendly drag shows, right? That is not a possibility. You, you, you're going to... That, right. you, that means in your family, you have a different definition of what you, you think is family-friendly. Right. We don't. We, we're not interested in in G-rated material. We're we're now saying that objectionable material and grooming kids is good, right? So, so we we've we've reached this new level of insanity, 
And I'm ask I'm asking the question. I'm not saying we've done it, but w- w- did I not hear that like the church actively courted those wokeist influences to come and visit the temple in DC? D- did talking, I hear that wrong or uh, are you talking about the the gay men's choir that sang at the temple? Well, that's one thing, right? There, the, I find it interesting there's a there's a Washington DC gay men's choir. Right. And I think they've performed at the temple. Is there a straight twice. men's choir for DC? Because, <laughs> I mean, is it because choir is just gay? I no, mean, <laughs> they mean, they... Because I was in choir in high school. They they um, uh, brand themselves as such. So the, what, what happened there? They Well, I think they were just invited to sing at some of the dedication... A couple of times, Open right? house festivities. But weren't that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the trans element. Was wasn't there like special accommodation made for a lot of those people to come and get special access? Or what, did I hear that wrong? Or uh, there might have been. I don't know. I'm not sure. I know that there were special days for special people during the open house. Should there be special days for special people, or shouldn't it just be like, hey, come one, come all? It's it's not dedicated yet. Whether you're Black, white, bond or free, male or female, come and, and enjoy the temple with all of us. Yeah, probably. That would be that'd be like be more that seems more like rational to me. And then if those guys want to come, they can come. And maybe you if you have a friend, you would invite them to come. Right, but you don't garner favors with powerful people if you don't okay. garner favors so with now powerful we're, people. So now we've hit the crux of the, the issue here. Perhaps. Back to Beverly Campbell. Right. Right. She had garnered favors with powerful people. She's very influential. Right. I think sort of laid the foundation for the shift from the church being obscure and uh, kind of forgotten to being a power broker in these circles, or at least the perception that they are. Because I think uh, I saw something the other day, and it made me think of this exact issue, that the last train to the gulag still goes to the gulag. And I think that you can try to, you can try to ally yourselves with these entities, these evil conspiring men. In the end, they're still going to line you up. Right. Don't impose logic on a tyrant. Right. Right. They're still going to, in fact, you might be some of the first lined up. It's like the, in the, you know, the most loyal Soviets were some of the first to be shipped off because they knew. And they were screaming they at the, the guards. They were, yeah, they're screaming at the guards, you know, uh, why, wait till Joe F- Stalin finds out about this. Right. You know, I, I'm right. going to, he, and he's the one ordering it. Right. Well, so I think it's a I think it's a dangerous game to try to garner influence with powerful people. And I've seen people cite the Doctrine and Covenants verse to make friends with Babylon and the unrighteous uh, mammon is what it says. I think right. And I think there's a big difference between uh, just existing in an unri- an unrighteous world and earning a living, and then and you know making yourself part of it and. Uh, Making alliances with and endorsing with and, and yeah, promoting the agendas of right that and that's the argument. The argument mammon. is that in order to have influence, in order to have the type of influence that we expect, that the quote the church will fill the earth, which is a mis 
um, quote of Joseph Smith's statements about the standard of truth being unfolded, unfurled and um, that the truth will visit every clime, not necessarily the church. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there, there's these perceptions that we've built up in our minds that the church is going to fill the earth, and it has. It's, but, I mean, it hasn't really filled it. It's kind of dotted the earth, right? Covered the earth. and Yeah, it's in every major, you know, developed country. Any, every major supermarket? <laughs> Find it at, at uh, the video store? <laughs> Find it in all the major theaters? Right. At a theater near you. Right. Uh, so, so there's that. Yeah, we have to reconcile. Well, I don't. I guess we don't have to. But I guess in my mind, a person like me is is trying to reconcile this idea that well, we have to do these things to gain influence. We have to shut down. We have to follow the political um, guidance. norms, guidance, <laughs> the edicts. We have to follow all the political the wise and thoughtful rationale government leaders and, and and you know and by the way that the vaccine is a literal godsend uh and and wearing a mask is christ-like so those those statements we we have to reconcile all of that stuff that we're going along so that the so that the message can be spread with things like that we see in scripture like for example elijah and the priests of baal elijah and the priests of baal or baal or whatever you want to call them that's an interesting episode Right. Okay. Uh, how about Joseph Smith on the run from the authorities? Has to move out of Kirtland. They had to move out of Missouri. They had to move out of Nauvoo. <laughs> he he co- cooperated with the law in, in various ways, right? You know, he, he turned himself in at Carthage to answer to accusations. It wasn't it wasn't what people think. It wasn't he was arrested. He was actually in the jailer's bedroom when he was shot. He wasn't in the lockup. Right. So his his actions are often misinterpreted, but he was, you know, not necessarily, I mean, he spent time in Liberty Jail. He was betrayed and turned in in Missouri. And, and he spends, what, six months there? And he learned a lot about power and influence sections 121 2 and 3 i think mm-hmm. and many uh, much more came out of that the letters from liberty jail but okay so we have that kind of mode of operation can we <laughs> I, I i'm just trying to think of scriptural examples i'm well right I mean, you've got Alma who submits to the Lamanite, the Noah's priests, right? He leaves with his small band before the Nephites get destroyed. And this is the the King Noah Abinadi episode. He leaves. They get recaptured, right, by the the wicked priests who had joined up with the Lamanites, and then they leave again. They sneak out again. <laughs> okay. He, he didn't try to infiltrate their ranks and buy influence, you know. They just carefully ex- exited the situation. That's interesting. We got, we got Captain Moroni and the King Men. <laughs> so, okay, we got conceivably Laman and Lemuel had a, had a point. They were the elder brothers. 
What am I? What am I missing here, Bobby Flood? I don't know. Okay, well, I guess we could just go back to Jesus. Pilate says, "Art thou a king?" He says, "Well, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would come and get me." Yeah, he also said, "Render under Caesar," and I think that is a statement that is misused a lot. Yeah, he never defined. Well, he got the coin out of a fish. He also never said that any of this belongs to Caesar. Just said, render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. Yeah. It's not a pro, I don't think that's a pro taxation statement. No, no. Nor do I think it is a pro do whatever your government tells you, regardless of the, the morality of it statement. Right. Uh, it's possible he meant that uh, you don't need to render anything to Caesar because nothing is Caesar's. But. That's my interpretation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you can take it how you want. I did, you know, I wonder what, what will come of this episode. Maybe we should re-record. <laughs> We've certainly hit on all the electric fences. Well, I think, it's, uh, I think these are things that are on the minds of, of LDS people and religious people in general, because I've, I've read several articles and statements over the last few years that various people are, are concerned about the churches they belong to and the way that these churches, including big churches like the Catholic Church and big Christian churches and, and Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Church of England, Church of Sweden, you know, these influential churches— Church of Utah. —are— our, Church of the Climate Change. Right. The way that these churches are capitulating to the growing tyranny that we're seeing all over the world, and in, the, and in many cases even endorsing and promoting it, going along with it, using the, manipulating their membership, uh, using the faith to take certain actions. Well, and when it comes right down to it, they are invested in... Pfizer? Babylon, yeah. Oh. Yeah, Pfizer. Right. But, <laughs> like... Uh, well, it literally invested... There, there was a... There, I ran across an article, and I'm not going to pull it up or link it here, but as I was looking for the LDS position on climate change, there was a Salt Lake Tribune editorial that the church should use its $100 billion to fight climate change. Right. People think that's a... I mean, rather than fighting... Rather than helping poor people or... You know, the Perpetual Education Fund, that was an interesting idea. Right. Why did that die out? Because education would be really helpful for people in uh, disadvantaged situations. Is the, is the small business loan program still a thing? I don't remember what they called that. Did they that. do a small business loan thing, the church? They did. Hmm. It was the Perpetual Entrepreneur Fund or something like that. Hmm. But I don't know if that is still exists or not. You don't hear much about it if it does. I mean, what would be better, teaching the people or fighting? <laughs> fighting? What does it even mean to fight climate change? It means you're going to give money to to New World Order NGOs, well, non-governmental yeah, organizations, to propagandize the people that, that the people are bad and they should live in a. I mean, when in a box, we have to understand when you go at Christmas time and and go to those vending machines at the mall and buy a goat, you're really just sending money to World Food Program and other UN NGOs. Probably not buying a goat. Is that why they're promoting sustainable or agenda twenty thirty and UN 
programs because they're actually giving them the money. I mean, they're they're linked into that point where that's where they're well, donating money. The the church just released a, a press release talking about how much money they give to charity, and most of the money is going to NGOs. That's a non-governmental organization. That's an official term. It's it's for like United Nations linked organizations, right? Like the right. the World Health Organization is an NGO, right? And we all the have, UN is an NGO, WEF, uh, and all their little subsidiaries like Gavi and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation mm. and the NAACP and all these other organizations. Uh, you giving you're giving money to these institutions is not donating money to charity. Maybe that's how it's legally categorized, but that's really not what it is. These are bloated organizations that pay CEOs extravagant salaries, have huge overhead costs, and that wield tremendous power over actual governments, especially in the case of the WEF. They've infiltrated governments all over the world, and they brag about it. Well, not only that, they're interlinked with <clears throat> multinational corporations right. that do, you know, they, they never seem to change much except they change their branding, right? And then they change the quality of their goods. It's like, well, hey, right. we, we have reduced the amount of XYZ in this product, which will cause it to break in 20 minutes, but right. you're saving the environment and you'll have to buy a new one. Right. Yeah, it's to funny clutter the landfills with <laughs> land, later when it breaks. There's, I've seen some pictures of like discarded COVID masks just clogging up landfills all over the world. We need to find a picture of a three-eyed fish <laughs> wearing a mask. So I think I think choking uh, on a mask. I think as we wrap this up, I think it's a good question to ponder: Who are we really? And I think that has to come down to ultimately individuals have to decide who they are, who are you, uh, who is the author and finisher of your faith? Is it St. Greta? Is it, <laughs> is it the climate cult? Is it power and influence and worldly praise? Or is it something else? I think that's, the, that's ultimately, it it's always comes down, it always comes down to our individual relationship with God and which God? The climate. Yeah, well, you know, is it degrees in school? Is it worldly praise? Is it uh, honorary degrees, honorary PhDs in theology? Hmm. I, I would suspect that most of our listeners uh, would say no, but uh, I think the world in general, and even members of churches, Christian churches, uh, are losing that, are losing track of who is the author and finisher of their faith and and who is the one true god or the 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 uh the the only god that can redeem us from our sins it's not a climate repentance god he's not going to redeem us in our sins it will be from our sins right as long as we are loyal to him well i guess we Hmm. will throw this out there and uh come what may right come what may yeah, I, I hope anybody that's listening to this that wants to take issue or clip any of our comments out of context, remember there's a lot of context w- with this. This is not racist or anti-gay or anti-church or anything like that. We're asking honest questions. It's pretty obvious there are certain groups being discriminated against. 
And that varies, that varies from where you are, you know, like if you're in China, it's different than if you're in the South and if you're in the North and if you're in the, in Utah or whatever, but it's very clear that, um, you know, right now that, that, that question, is it okay to be white? (laughs) That hit, that, that cuts to the heart of it, right? I mean, that makes it about race. That makes it about race. If you're, it. I thought we were. I thought we'd come to a point, you know, ten years ago, where we were kind of all just getting getting along pretty good, right? The internet was exploding. There was an explosion of freedom and and uh, information, you know, truth, error, whatever. But it it was it was kind of a happy time, you know, even though we had that great financial crisis and the whole war on terror thing, <laughs> as we were destroying people on the other side of the world. CNN is running an article right now saying that if you're white and you post a humorous or any kind of animated gif on the internet of a black person, then you're using digital blackface. Okay. <laughs> so if you're white and you've ever posted a gif Anything black? of Morgan Freeman laughing, then you, sir... Or if you do a Morgan Freeman impression. Yeah, well, that's even worse. That's, that's actual blackface. What about the movie White Girls? Do you remember that? Yeah, totally fine. That's okay? Totally fine because it's... it's, I thought that was really funny. I mean, anyway... uh, It it is funny. And I think think that Robert Downey Jr. is hilarious in Tropic Thunder where he's just a dude playing a dude dressed as another dude. (laughs) You know, he's this this actor going through uh, an identity crisis and he's, he's playing a black guy in the movie. And the premise for the movie is that they're actors, right? Right. Um, and and he's going through such an identity crisis that he is an actor playing an actor, playing an, playing a character, and his character in the movie is a is a black guy. So he's in. If you if you zoom out and break the fourth wall, Robert Downey Jr. is in blackface in that whole mm-hmm. movie, and he talks like a black person, he acts like a black person, and that's mm-hmm. the whole joke is that he's. A white person trying to be a black guy. He he's like an American guy, who's a British guy, who pretends to be a British guy who's <laughs> cast as this black guy. Did you ever see Iron Sky, uh-uh. where the Nazis are hiding on the dark side of the moon, uh-uh. and the black astronaut ends up up there, and then they 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 medically change him into a white guy <laughs> when he comes back to Earth. He's That's not the guy. Michael Jackson story. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> the. The point I'm trying to make is if you're out there and you're going to like try to rip us for this episode, this, these are honest questions. This, these are honest issues. Our intentions are pure here. The, the, there is racism, racism going on, but for the most part, it's not what is being talked about uh, in the well, pro- propagandistic not, media. It's not systemic. It's not what, is, it's not what you think. In fact, it's, it's now pointed directly at the, the oppressed white male. Um, who has the least chance of getting a scholarship, you know, right. out there of any group. And well, that's, is that, is that like, who has the moral high ground here? I, I, what I'm trying to say is if you're going to take issue and clip what we've said out of context, whether it was about the church or about Agenda 2030 or whatever, um, <laughs> if, if you think you've got the moral high ground for doing that, for taking what we've said out of context... So be it. But but has anybody ever clipped us? No. Not only that, Spotify. Not that I know of. Only Spotify. 
Maybe that would be a, given a, us, a watershed moment for us to actually drum up some controversy. They they uh, they have uh, blue checked us. What is it where they put their little blue banner on it? COVID, right. COVID, right. COVID warning us several times. But I think you know. <clears throat> well, I the, think it's these are important things to, to discuss if we're going to actually have a society that doesn't destroy itself. Right, and there's just the society is definitely destroying itself. Yeah, and that goes for Utah too. Me too, Utah too. <laughs> All right, well, maybe we wrap this up here. Any last word? Well, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, take care, and we will see you next time. <laughs>